If anybody talks about how they hate the way I pronounce Burek's name, I'm just going to start saying I pronounce it the Pharaoh way. <laughs> nice. It's because I'm from the Inlands. <laughs> that Inland accent. Welcome back to the last episode of Royal Assassin. We're reading through the epilogue. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And we're going to dive right in and then discuss our thoughts on the whole book after our discussion of the epilogue. Pretty excited. We're wrapping up the second book of the trilogy, the first trilogy. (laughs) Crazy. Feels like we just started yesterday, so. Been over a year, went through two books. I really, uh, really need to read more, <laughs> read a little bit faster, maybe edit faster is more like it, but we'll get through them all. <laughs> so this epilogue is once again from older Fitz's perspective when he's probably about 30 years old, right? maybe a little bit older. Uh, I was actually reading today uh, a little bit more into the timelines of when Hap came to him and speculation from fans and things like that. Mm -hmm. And we know that Assassin's Quest, the next book, ends with Fitz being about 20 years old. And then it's about 15 years from there when the first of the Tawny Man trilogy picks up. And he's 35 years old. And then before he goes back to Buckkeep, he's like 36 or something. Right. Someone reasoned out. I didn't look into the exact numbers or anything like that. But... They reasoned that Starling brought Hap to Fitz when Fitz was about 28 years old. Like the same age Burek was. Ish, yeah. So seven years from then is when he's 35, and that's when Hap is 15, and he would be coming to Buckkeep to be apprenticed as well. Weird. So since we know that Hap is with him, he's probably at least 30, maybe 32, 33, something like that. But he could also be, like, 29. He could be, but Hap was brought to him when he was, like, seven, and I think Hap is, like, doing chores by himself and stuff. You think Fitz I mean, understands Fitz, yeah. <laughs> that a seven-year-old shouldn't be doing chores by himself? I mean, to be fair, he was eight when he got the run of the stables, not seven. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but that, that would be my guess. He would wait until he was, like, ten or something, or I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> First off, Fitz discusses how that plan came to be, how Chaden Beer came up with the plan to fake his death or actually kill him and get him into Night Eyes' body. And like we've mentioned before, this was a tale that Beer's grandmother had told him about a witted girl who left her body for maybe a day at a time to go with her witted partner mm-hmm. and then would return to her body later. And Chade took that story that Beric gave him and whipped up some drugs as well to help that, and the rest is history. A history that Fitz relives all the time, forever. (laughs) Yeah, which he specifically mentions as well. says, though it took me some days and time to remember that I had been a man, and sometimes still I doubt it that he had once lived in a man's body. Mm -hmm. It it does live with him. He, He remembers his days as a wolf all the time. He also mentions that 
he couldn't resume his life, so he, in actuality, he did kind of die. Birk and Chade insist that his body never actually died, and we talked about this last episode as well, but Fitz believes that he, think he, he thinks he did die. Right. There, you know, with him healing his scabs and things like that, I really don't think he did die. His body did not die during that time, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it pretty much did because he couldn't resume his life. Everyone thought he was dead except for Chaden Birik, so what was left to him except to actually kill Fitz chivalry in his head and move on as somebody else. Right. Yeah. I think, I think there's a possibility that he was alive too. I think it is more of a metaphorical death that Fitz is latching onto. And I mean, I don't blame him. No. Yeah. Maybe it's easier that way to move on from his past because now he truly is reborn and a new man. I don't know. Yeah, he even mentions in here, Regal had killed me in every way that mattered to me as a man. To present myself to any of those who had loved me, to stand before them in my human flesh, would have only been to give them proof of the magic I had tainted myself with. So, thinking it through, even if he wanted to be like, hey, I'm actually alive, Regal didn't actually kill me, mm-hmm. they'd have been like, oh, you are proven to have the wit, then we should kill you again. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lose-lose situation for Fitz. And he describes how he died, mm-hmm. that it happened in his cell and a day or two after the final beating where he was in and out of consciousness where we left him. And the Dukes were super upset that of course, he yeah. was so bloodied and battered, but... Regal had his men testify that he had used the wit on Will, which is why Will is still injured, and that the only way to stop him was to beat him. And so it was just self-defense. And then they also had that witness come in and talk about how she saw him. And so in the face of all of those witnesses, they turned away from Fitz. Yeah, definitely. And it is frustrating because... Obviously, there's only one real person testifying against Fitz. And even then, it's the word of a child. So it's frustrating that nobody trusts Fitz more. But maybe they all knew something was a little weird about him. Or Was it an actual child? Because wasn't she getting water for for her baby? I don't think it was for her baby. Oh, it was for like her family's. Yeah, she was okay. like a little kid. They, he, Fitz knew, describes her as a little girl. As so a she girl, has yeah. To be. So I didn't know if like she was super young or if she was just like right. 15, 16 and had a kid or something like that and had well, to get water. If a 17 year old yeah. is calling her a girl, I feel like that means she's yeah, like but seven. Fitz as an adult looking back, you know, That's I. Fair. I take some of his descriptions as. Not on point because he's not all there all the time with his sight sure, okay. <laughs> and his memory. So I don't know. That's why I was just kind of clarifying. Okay. Well, I, I just remember being a yeah. baby being in the picture. I feel like Regal was comforting her too much in like a fatherly sort of way yeah. for if she was an adult where he would have been more romantic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's no my reasoning behind it. Yeah. So... With all of the evidence against Fitz and the Dukes turning away from him, I mean, he's dead as far as they know, so they had to either way. They see Lord Bright put as the 
care holder of Buckkeep and witness Regal's coronation. Mm-hmm. They upheld their part of the bargain, pretty mm-hmm. much. Even even though that wasn't really part of the bargain if Fitz would die because they were thinking that Fitz would, you know, survive until the, the trial. Right. They turned to Regal because Fitz was no longer part of the equation. Right. And I think reading this, it made me really frustrated of how could they believe Regal? How could they just take all those men for their word? But first of all, they don't know Regal the way we do. And second of all... I don't know why you would assume that a royal person who has a large group of witnesses would be lying. Right. So it's one of those things that's so frustrating. And also, what are they going to do without somebody to rally them at Buckkeep? Are they going to rise in rebellion, being split down the middle to, you know, like a a duchy up north and duchies down south split by Buck, who is ruled by Regal? They're not going to like rise up at that point also their plan is kind of ruined yeah while they have red ships at their back yeah so yeah there's they were kind of backed into a corner even though they had a great plan it all hinged on fitz being alive right and that did not happen well in their eyes right (laughs) patience and lady grace were the only two people who spoke up for fitz patience wanted fitz to be buried whole not burned And Lady Grace sent word, speaking for Fitz on behalf of him, despite her Duke husband's disgust. disgust. Yeah. Which I thought was really brave of her Mm -hmm. and good. I could see how even if she heard he was witted, she wouldn't care because clearly he can't be that bad. He saved her only friend at the time, which was a dog. Right. (laughs) And gave her good advice. Right. So. Yeah. So it's. It's nice to see that people like Fitz and don't use him. (laughs) Regal does not argue with them, though. He Fitz says cheated of his full vengeance. Regal simply lost interest. In response to why he thinks he was allowed to just be buried. And he just moves inland to Tradeford. Yeah. Abandoning Buckkeep, fulfilling his plan. So... Because he left, he was left out of the spectacle of Fitz suffering. Mm-hmm. We get patients able to claim his body, clean his wounds, stitch him up, patch him, and then bury him. And this is covering everything that we already knew and have discussed, but it puts it into more context of what Fitz learned after the fact. Mm-hmm. And especially the excuse that, you know, Regal gave to the Dukes and things like that, which is really interesting. Right. I, I really don't know if I'm overestimating or underestimating Regal here when he just says, I lost interest, and he moves inland. I don't know if I believe that or if I should believe that and I'm underestimate, underestimating him or if it's for like a different reason or it's like, oh, my plaything is done. I don't know. Yeah. Would he just lose interest and leave him alone? Well, as far as Regal knows, Fitz doesn't have the, the wit, provably. So there's no reason he wouldn't come back anyway. So what's the point of making a big show of somebody who's already dead? You've See, already ruined everything for him. That's this, that's an interesting point, actually. Does Regal believe that the wit can do what it does? I would think yes. 
but I don't think he would be scared of the wit or even care if Fitz actually had it as long as he could prove Fitz had it and then be able to kill him. Right. I think, I don't know if he believes in the wit. I think as long as there's something other about people to point out, he's happy to jump on that bandwagon. That was kind of my point. Yeah, definitely. And, but I don't know that he believes Fitz has it at this point. There's only the word of his underlings, which he finds himself very superior. And why wouldn't he have known? It feels like one of those things where if he hasn't seen it, he doesn't believe it. Sure. And they couldn't get Fitz to do anything remotely Mm wit-like while they tortured him. So, But his whole plan hinged on Fitz doing that, you know, Um, on doing something with the wit. So or I feel like no, I don't think it hinged on Fitz breaking in the wit. I think it hinged on being able to break him with the skill to pretend like he has the wit, whether he does or not. But if that was the plan, then Regal could have just let Will have him, you know? Well, it's Regal and he likes violence, so. But then after, like, the second day, he was asking, like, why hasn't he done the wit thing yet? Like, what's going on with this? I thought you told me. So I feel like I feel like he does believe that Fitz has the wit. And that's why that personally to me, that's why it doesn't make sense that he just kind of like lost interest. Mm -hmm. But I feel like. If he believes that Fitz has the wit, I don't think he believes anything else about the wit. It's just like, I need to believe Fitz has the wit, so I have an excuse to kill him. I really don't care about any of the folklore about it. That's fair. It just kind of fits into my perception of Regal, I guess. I can't really vocalize it that well. Yeah. No, I understand what you're saying. Just that the details don't matter as much as long as he has a reason. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think, like... He convinced himself, even though he probably didn't need to convince himself to kill to, to kill Fitz, but right. he convinced himself that, okay, this there is something dreadfully wrong with Fitz, and I've been, you know, justified in all my hate towards him. Right. I don't know. I think I think the reason I believe that Regal doesn't doesn't believe that Fitz has the wit is exactly for what you said earlier. That is why you think he does. He was asking, well, why hasn't he done the thing yet? Why hasn't he done the wit thing? I think it's just something somebody told him. He's like, sure, I believe that. And then he hasn't been able to prove it to himself. And just he's waiting for proof. He That would be great if he really was witted. And it'd be awesome because it'd be one more thing to get others to also hate him. Because for whatever reason, people don't care that he's illegitimate. (laughs) But I don't think it's necessarily something that takes up a large part of his thought process towards Fitz, if that makes sense. That's fair. Aren't books great? Yeah, Yeah. they are. (laughs) One little decision, you know, both sides, (laughs) completely opposite reasons why maybe that decision was made. Also, maybe it's just um, plot armor for Fitz. True. (laughs) True. Yeah, that's probably some pretty big plot armor there. Oh, I just lost interest. You're dead, so let's go away. (laughs) And so Fitz is reborn, or revived, I guess I I should say, into a life where he has no return to. Yeah. He is only surrounded with Night Eyes, Beric, and Chade. He can't do anything. He can't reintegrate back into life or society. One, because he thinks he's a wolf still. Or wants to go back into that escape. And two, because he has no place and he would get condemned again right. if he announced himself as alive. Yeah. 
Patience did save him with claiming his body and cleaning him up. And besides that, he's got nothing going for him, really. <laughs> yeah. Fitz he- describes a paragraph here of what happens in the next book. None of it has really come to pass yet, but for older Fitz, we get this context. When I was first reading through this, I'm like, it, this has happened at the beginning and the end of the first and now this book as well. It's mm-hmm. just a little bit into the future of like what comes next. Right. And then it recaps everything in the next book and it goes over those because this is like memoirs. Right. So when I was reading this, I'm like, wow, these are spoilers. What's is this going to be like what's happening? Big time jump or something. Mm-hmm. It's telling us that six duchies crumble. Raiders possess all the good harbors almost at will. Uh, folk are driven from their homes or brought to slavery. While the Out Islanders squat on the coasts, forgings are flourished, and Fitz goes inland and turns his back on it all. I'm like, wow, big spoiler. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I guess it doesn't tell you if he succeeds or not, so. True. I guess he's alive, but. Also, yeah. With that recap, he kind of jumps to present day. He says, even with all of that, and all the years that have passed and the hard days that have passed. And now that they're gone, Mm -hmm. I still feel the pain. I still reminisce about my days as the wolf. My body is still broken. And I long for that freedom that I had with night eyes. There is a comfort in their recalling as well as a temptation. Come hunt with me. The invitation whispers in my heart. Leave the pain behind, and let your life be your own again. There is a place where all time is now, and the choices are simple and always yours. Wolves have no kings. And I found the the last part really interesting, because, again, it demonstrates the duality that Fitz has as mm-hmm. a person with split obligations. He was raised and he will always have part of him as a farseer, as a servant, a tool, someone who is willing and able and wants to help the whole of the six duchies, the Mm -hmm. whole kingdom and the family and everything. And then there is half of him, the wolf half, who just wants no obligations, wants to live in the now, wants to be alone in a cabin in the woods somewhere Mm -hmm. and be content with his life. Right. And just not be bothered and yet mope about why don't people talk to me or bother <laughs> me kind of thing, you know? Right, yeah. There's cons to both sides and contradictory things in his personality for both sides, but that's that's like his two sides to him, his, two, his duality, I guess, where he wants to help the kingdom and the Farseers, And yet he longs for the wolf where wolves have no kings. They have no obligations. They don't have anything. So this is a pretty iconic line in this whole series. I see wolves have no kings over a lot of different things of quotes online and, and things like that. And to me, that represents him wanting a simple life with Mm. no obligations to forget, you know, the past, the future, just live in the now. And that just represents everything for me, for for that quote at least. Right. Huh. Yeah, I think Fitz's duality is 
something that's sometimes challenging to grapple with. In my readings of this series, it seems to come from the want to help people, but the jaded attitude towards the things that stop him from helping people the way he wants to. Sure. Wolves don't have to listen to rules. They can just do what it is that they want to do. And humans aren't as lucky. We have a society. We live in a society. (laughs) And we have to follow those rules. And sometimes that means that the bad guy gets away or that the good guy gets tortured in a dungeon for months. (laughs) And I think the part of being a wolf and having no king that speaks so much to Fitz's heart is that when you're a wolf, you don't have to just sit there in the cage and let them do that to you. You can fight back. You don't have to worry about every little detail and how it affects every little person in your life. It's just survival. So I guess in my reading of The Wolves Have No King, it's more of a righteous wolves have no kings. They protect their own. Yeah. And I don't know, free of consequences. <laughs> That's not true. Wolves also can get in trouble, but only if you can catch them, <laughs> which I suppose is true of humans. So <laughs> please don't do anything illegal, people. <laughs> well, that wraps up Royal Assassin. Thank you for taking along this whole way so far. Mm-hmm. We'll have a, a bit more of a discussion about that coming right up. I'm sitting here sipping a self-congratulatory whiskey. I am just sipping water. Patting ourselves on the back. (laughs) Yeah. Made it through over a year of episodes. Made it through the second book. And what a good book. This is my, as I I think I've mentioned before, this is my favorite of the the trilogy for sure. Um, Royal Assassin is is a great book in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Has good pacing, nice plot to it. Has a couple different like action climaxes in it, but also a lot of intrigue and a lot of emotional turmoil. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> kind of has it all, in my opinion. Yeah, this book, it's nice to be done just because whenever we get towards the end of the book, it seems as though I feel like ready to get to the next one. Yeah. Because I know it's so close. In the middle, in the beginning, it's nice because it's like, oh, look at all the fun things we're learning and all these little (laughs) nuggets of wisdom. And then we get to the last like 10 chapters and I'm like, okay, I get it. Let's go. (laughs) Let's get to the end. So I'm kind of excited to be done just because I feel like I've been in misery for (laughs) months now. Oh, get ready for the next months of misery where it's just rehab. Yeah. No, it it's a good book. I like this book. Yeah, what do you, what do you think of the pacing compared to the first one? Because mm. I know we talked about the first one, I think, at the, man, this is a long time ago now, but like episode 20-something, where we wrapped up the first book. Mm-hmm. Same thing, epilogue, and then discussed it. And 
I think we both had the same thoughts that it's a bit slow in the beginning, mm-hmm. just because it's setting up the world, establishing the characters, and nothing much happens. It's like a slice of life kind of thing until Fitz gets old enough to understand things. Right. Starts training. I think pacing wise for this book, it seems pretty good. I mean, overall, it, there's a couple points that lull. I feel like that happens in a lot of big books. Mm-hmm. I like those points, actually, in it's a lot a nice of books. break. <laughs> yeah. Not even that, but there's a lot of things. Uh, obviously, the authors include those points for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the slower parts of books. Okay. Because it's more build-up to and, and more payoff for the climaxes later. That's fair. You get more context, usually. If it's well written, you get more context right, yeah. and emotional depth and reasons why things are happening, mm-hmm. which I do appreciate. Right. And I don't want it to sound like I think that's a bad thing. Oh, yeah. No, just, no, no, no. I'll just explain my yeah, thoughts. <laughs> yeah. No, there just are. I feel like they're more evenly spaced. So I guess spacing is great. But the lulls feel placed better that's more mm, like a yeah. smooth hilly ride whereas before it felt more like a plateau yeah. <laughs> i guess opposite plateau because plateau goes down right so but uh yeah i guess the first one is more like for me it's like a roller coaster with the smallest tail at the beginning yeah. <laughs> like it goes kind of like slow oh little hill at the beginning oh another a little bit bigger hill with his training with assassins, oh, uh-huh. pretty big hill with like the skill training. Right. Then back down. And then at the end, it goes like uh-huh. really high again. Yeah. So it just. This feels like the hills are more even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think the trilogy itself is is paced really well as a whole work. But if you look at each of the individual books, it's a little bit different. So mm. like the first book really ramps up slowly. And at the end, it has a huge climax. And the second book just kind of continues that intensity. Yeah. With like. You know, the roller coasters mm-hmm. analogy. The little lulls of normalcy in there. Yeah. But that makes me like kind of with that analogy, I don't I don't know how well it flows into the third book because I what I remember of the third book, again, I haven't read it for probably a couple of years now. Right. Is that it starts really flat. It's pretty slow, it's building up because it's all about Fitz recovering from his right. ordeal. And that takes a long time. And then when he does get out, it's kind of him and Night Eyes traveling. And then his attempted assassination on Regal. And then getting injured and then mostly dead in the Mountain Kingdom where the fool meets him and, and helps him recover. So it's like a lot of flatlining with like a spike in the middle. So Man, spoilers. I, I know, I know. <laughs> really just going ahead of ourselves. I guess we can just jump to like chapter 30 or something. Right, yeah. Might as well just skip over it. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I really do have a soft spot for this first trilogy just because it's I, I, I'm hesitant to say it's nostalgic because I wasn't that young when I first read it. Things can be nostalgic. Yeah, even I suppose. in not childhood. I feel that ways. way pretty much about every first book that I read in a series that like I turn out to love the series. Mm-hmm. I can reread that first book and like, oh, I remember when I was young and naive and didn't know what was going on. <laughs> this series is so comforting. Uh, they don't know I what's happening Robin yet. Hobb. <laughs> Look at these characters. They don't even know what's happening. It's so cute. 
They're not jaded yet. So young and spry. <laughs> well, <laughs> a little jaded. <laughs> yeah. No, this book to me feels more colorful. I don't, that's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, I can see that. And some of the colors might be beige, but that still creates the painting as beautiful as ever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think because we go so slowly in this and we're doing one chapter a week, it's really sometimes hard to remember how light the book can be sometimes. Yeah. And just going back over the book for this, I was surprised at like, wow, this book really started very light and fluffy compared to how we end. <laughs> we have and, like the the goofy chapter where he meets patience. Uh-huh. Or is that in the first book? No, that's the first book, but this oh, chapter geez, we had I ha- can't even. <laughs> yeah, this chapter we, or this book we had him wooing Molly. Oh, that's Their right. Their whole yes. relationship yes, is this yes, book. Yes, yes. And we have him learning to fight and we have Kedrickin and Verity's relationship mm-hmm. growing. Yeah. It's very very fun. To go back and look at, oh my gosh, yeah, there were, it's not such a dark book. It it just feels that way because for the last month we've been sad and in a dungeon. (laughs) Is Fitz happy in this book? If I had to take an average of his attitude through the chapter, hmm, (sighs) yes. I know, I'm in the same place. I would say more content or busy than happy or sad. He is obviously very sad and depressed in a lot of the, the chapters. He leaves off on a high note on some of them, but he has something to do and he's something he's aiming for in a lot of the chapters. Right. Also, he's a job. He's pretty angsty a lot yeah. in this book. He's going through puberty. There's the anger at his grandfather for I don't know what exactly. Every, everything. Just <laughs> life in general. And there's the angst that... Molly won't love me. And then, you know, just, mm-hmm. oh, I have to do my job. Yuck. <laughs> as as reference, Fitz starts this book at about 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And we end with him at about 18 or 19. Not exactly sure. And next book takes place over one year or so. Maybe two years. Depends. When, when, when we get into it, I'll, I'll see. But he ends at about 20 years old. So he covers, you know, this is three to four years of his life when he's just learning to be a warrior and stand up and and learning to be a man because Beric finally recognizes him as one and all these different things. His first love and Uh he's a grown up now and, you know, how you feel when you're a teen and (laughs) obviously I'm smart enough to rule the world. Yeah, and here I'm sitting at 28 years old, and and Emma's across <laughs> from me, and we're like, hey, when we grow up, where what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I figure it out. I think this book is really kind of the birth of Fitz into who he is for the rest of the series. Yeah. Last book was the background knowledge of, here's the foundation of why Fitz was be able to become who he is and why he makes the choices he does kind of how sad (laughs) his life has always been. And this book is more here's Fitz. Here's him maturing from child into adulthood and making a lot of missteps on the way. Yeah. 
and just falling into who he becomes and really just making it through life. I don't know. We get uh, the first book, Assassin's Apprentice, him being an apprentice in the skill and as an assassin. He gets that background knowledge a little bit. Mm -hmm. In this book, he hones a little bit more of his skill with Faraday. Not not much, but a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But he learns to be a warrior and a politician a little bit more here. And then yeah. this next one, we kind of see it all. And, and the wit, I should say, more so uh, than a politician. He... he Helps Ketchikan a little bit acclimate herself to the yeah to the he, royal palace. He was doing really good when he was on that path. I don't know mm -hmm. why he decided to stop caring about Ketchikan. <laughs> That's was, not what happened. But he was bored and he had to go fight pirates and then woo right. Molly. Right, true. But he learned a lot about the wit and fighting in this one, and it all kind of culminates in the next book. So mm -hmm. we're getting we're still getting a bit of his background. But this, yeah, like you said, he's he's more coming into his own and becoming the man that he is when he grows up, especially with the events at the end of this book. Right. Yeah. No, I think this really shows why he's so slow to trust, I mm -hmm. guess, which he already had that problem beforehand. But, you know, this definitely makes it worse. <laughs> And with Fitz's changing emotions and sensibilities and his outlook on life within this, I feel like this is the most development in relationships we get. Oh, yeah. For a lot of the first trilogy. A lot of different changes happen between relationships between different people. Him and Molly, him and Beric, him and Trude, him and Verity. Him and Patience. Him and Patience, him and the Fool. Like all of these different relationships linking Fitz to everyone it is dynamic in this book which is very interesting to me as well because particularly with like we know molly's trajectory with everything but mm -hmm. particularly with the fool we know they end up extremely close but in the first book they're not really friends they view right. each other as weird or at least fitz thinks the fool is an outcast and he kind of treats him as such until he goes into his room and the fool only kind of tolerates him and says right. the riddles because he has to use him. In this book, we get a little bit more depth and a mm -hmm. little bit more feeling behind things, even if a lot of their interactions are based through Shrewd and his suffering. Right. We're starting to see a little bit of a relationship between the two. Yeah, there's definitely a foundation being built, um, which is nice to read. Because this is such a long series, it's easy to forget that they weren't always thick as thieves. Right, right. And it's easy now rereading to see where some of this mistrust and misunderstanding is building from. And their childhood is even starting off on weird footing, especially after Fitz <laughs> breaks into the fool's room. Right. But I think that in Fitz's mind is the start of their friendship. Mm -hmm. I don't think he hated the fool beforehand. I just don't think he thought of them as friends. Right. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. Now in this book, we get to see Fitz being friends with somebody who kind of doesn't seem to be a, a friend back. I Or at least is sense. hiding it. Right. And we're seeing it from Fitz's perspective. So right. it's not so who very... knows how obvious the fool is yeah. being. But, <laughs> but the fool is... <sighs> The Fool is very secretive and private in general, and we get that from Fitz's point of view. But even with how the Fool interacts with Fitz, 
because a lot of it is, like I said, based around shrewd, and it's all of like, hey, don't hurt my king, you know, right. you have Verity, I have shrewd, we're both aiming for the same thing, don't kill him, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and the fool kind of almost reluctantly going to Fitz when he's hurt once in a while, mm-hmm. But we still see the fool going to someone when he's hurt. We still see him confiding in fits with things. And I feel like it's, he's like hiding it from himself because he's like, I have to use this kid to get get my way. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't get attached. Like I have to, I have to use him. He he could die literally any second, anything I send him into. But I feel like there's starting to become that attachment between the two of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I think develops a little bit more in the next book as well. Yeah, definitely. And we also see, you know, the relationship between Ketrickin and Fitz Mm -hmm. growing and becoming a little bit more stable and equal. Like, there's more of an equal footing. I feel like before, their relationship almost felt as though they're both grabbing to be the top person of knowledge, if that makes sense. There's a little bit more... Yeah, I can see that. ...of a imbalance of who knows more in what moment and by the end of this book they're coming to each other to work together not i know everything so i'll teach you Mm -hmm. it's a working together and using both of our knowledge and so i feel like that is nice to see i always felt that ketrickin was top dog i guess in the mountain kingdom and Mm -hmm. she was obviously the royal family there and Fitz was falling into that role of like I'm here as you know I have yeah. my mission but I'm here as like a guest kind of thing and at the beginning in Buckkeep those roles reversed because she was out of her element mm-hmm. but I can see that little like back and forth a little bit in the middle of the book and then at the end they definitely do have aligned goals and, and they work well together yeah they definitely are good at Communicating, I feel like this is one of the few relationships Fitz has where he's good at communicating with Ketrickin. He still is lying to Ketrickin and he still hides things from her. But for the most part, he still tells her things and he yeah. still talks with her through th- what he's feeling. Mm-hmm. Like he talks about how he doesn't trust Regal and how she shouldn't either. And they talk about plans and they keep each other calm. <laughs> When Mm -hmm. Regal goes a little too far. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. I think it's a nice blooming friendship there. Yeah, definitely. So with all of that said, who is your favorite character in Royal Assassin? And just Royal Assassin. Right. We're only looking at this book. Um, I think it's between... Patience, Verity, and Ketrickin. Okay, why Patience? Um, I think I love Patience's journey in this, her glow up, if you will, that she starts as this kind of unsure, weak, noble woman, and she slowly becomes more and more vocal and is not as afraid of being noticed. I think I really admire that she recognizes that she's being silly after Fitz points it out about Ketrickin not liking her enough. Mm -hmm. And I like that she really 
sticks up for Fitz, even though it's bad for her when Fitz is in the dungeon. I think that growth, I don't think she would have done that at the beginning of the book. I think she would have been too afraid of what would happen to her. Maybe not necessarily in that way, but like she would have been thinking over it more and needing more time and she would have been more likely to stay inside. Whereas at the end, she's literally conniving to get up to his door to tell him what's going on. And who were the other two? Verity and Ketrickin. Verity and Ketrickin. Verity makes me really mad, this book. But I enjoy that he learns how to uh, appreciate his wife. (laughs) Yeah, same. Um, I like that he does something for the good of the duchies that's actually useful. Uh, not that skilling isn't useful. Luke gave me a look, but I mean, I was about to give you a look. You saw me getting ready for it. That literally did save them it, for like two years. It does, <laughs> but I think in a way that people will remember him for. I guess if that makes sense. Not that you should yeah. only do things that are helpful if you'll be remembered for it. But so you're not like Fitz, where if Verity had stayed, things would have been different. And they could no. pull through. I mean, they probably could have, but I think. I think he's too wishy-washy. He's not a super great leader. He doesn't know how to make decisions that are important. And so I think he realized I need to work with my strengths and not continue to like mope about the things that I can't change. And I appreciate that from him. So I guess maybe he's not my favorite, but I do like his journey. See, I always thought that Verity knew his strengths and knew what he wanted to do. Right. But he couldn't because he was just a king in waiting and prince and he didn't have any lead to go off to do what he wanted. I think that's an excuse he used. I think Maybe. he does yeah. know his strengths. I think it's not fair to say he'd never knew. But right. I think when he's thrust into this new position, he struggles really hard on finding the line that's because fair. he's yeah. never gotten to just do whatever he wants. Even if it was to his strengths, he always had somebody else to tell him what to do. And so his excuse of not using his strengths to make things better is that he's just king in waiting. Mm-hmm. And then he realizes, hey, I'm king in waiting. That means I can do whatever I want. <laughs> My favorites are probably going to be Fitz in this one. Mm, okay. um, partially because of what you said for patience. So I think Fitz pushed her quite a bit and mm-hmm. developed that relationship and, and made her realize a lot of that about herself that she could, you know, be stronger in her relationships with the, the rest of the castle rather right. than just with Fitz and Lacey. Uh, but also the development he goes through and the realizations he goes through and the ups and downs he has. I know I kind of said, oh, maybe Fitz, but that's a cop out for last book. Mm-hmm. But I think this one solidly, he has much more human reactions and in development that I really appreciate. And I want to mention, I, I listened a little bit back to our first book recap and Uh we both said that we kind of wanted to pick regal but maybe he's better for the second book what do you think about regal this one look i love regal i think he's a great villain Mm -hmm. i think he does a really good job recently a listener reached out and pointed out that maybe we are underestimating his smartness yeah which really made me re-look at regal And I don't know. I think he's a lot smarter than people give him credit for, including us. Yeah. And I also hate him. (laughs) (laughs) 
I that doesn't factor into a good character at all, though. No, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I can't I guess say. It, I guess it factors into favorite character, right. but I think if you would ask me who my favorites are for the season. Like maybe in a couple months, I might say Regal, but I think it's what he did to Fitz is still too fresh. Yeah. I can't, I can't make him my favorite right now. See, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking too. I think recency bias of the episodes we just covered. He doesn't mm-hmm. go through a lot of change. We just kind of see the fruition of plans coming through and right. things like that. And I really like to see character development and you know, reactions to things and reasons why and, and how smart you are. So the past, you know, 10, 15 episodes, which is three, four months, we uh-huh. haven't seen Regal really change that much. Right. But thinking back to the beginning of the book, it is kind of crazy the development he goes through yeah. and like what we see from his plans and what happens and, and how he can scheme around things. So He's really grown as a politician. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can, and as a horrible person. So I can see him kind of sneaking into my top three, top five, top three, I would say, but mm-hmm. I don't think he's contending for one at all for me. I feel like if you gave me a couple months, I could say he was my number one. <laughs> I, again, I can't in good conscience, so close to the past couple episodes, do that to my boy Fitz. But if Fitz wasn't listening, yeah, <laughs> because clearly the fictional character is. <laughs> All right. So, what is your favorite theory that we covered for this book? Or favorite, you know, tinfoil hat? Like, oh, maybe this is what this is, and blah blah blah. Mm. First, I'll, I'll go first a little bit, but I guess it's. Not really going first, because I don't have one. (laughs) I feel like we covered a lot of big theories in the first book that really stuck out. And Uh I feel like this book was a lot of little things that we said, this could happen, and it kind of fits into the plot or the canon. We didn't think of anything that was so out there that I can remember off the top of my head, (laughs) at least. And in the past hour that I, I was thinking of this, I didn't go back through all the episodes, but... I feel like there wasn't anything that fully stuck out because I felt like we were pretty realistic with what we suggested or what we covered. Hmm. I think my favorite tinfoil hat theory, because I do have one, is any time we talked about the whites and how the fool oh, works. Oh, yeah. we did a lot of that this book. That's true. I forgot about that because the beginning was... Fitz going into Shrewd's dream, right? Like, that was, like, the Uh very first chapter. Sure was. And so I really like those. I also like any time we do funny asides for one of the characters that doesn't get as much spotlight. I like (laughs) thinking about what Shrewd is thinking. Mm, Yeah. I I guess that's not really a tinfoil hat theory, but... Speculation and things. Uh Uh-huh. I like putting myself in Shrewd's point of view just because i think he's so interesting i feel so bad for him in this book yeah shrewd Shrewd is also probably in my top five maybe top four characters okay but he doesn't change that much i just kind of feel bad for him and i like his character (laughs) it's not like it's not his mental health just deteriorates throughout the whole thing not even his mental health just physical health yeah because he's, we know, I and we mental state would be yeah, better. his mental state. He he gets trapped inside of his own mind because of pain and and drugs. He's still there, and he still knows what his son is kind of doing, and it's so heartbreaking when he like realizes he can't be saved, and right. That's like 
top three scene in the whole book for me is <laughs> fair shrewd dying so I don't know also every time I think about shrewd um this is just a fun mental picture to share with everyone um I think of like a pretty buff young man like in a cage just like let me out just you know like the little <laughs> hole on top of a cellar door where they have the bars it's like holding on like let me out let me out I don't know. That's what I think of with Shrewd now. It's pretty sad. <laughs> it is really sad. Um, but that is the mental image I get for him. So. <laughs> so if you would like to join me in thinking that, you're welcome. <laughs> okay, so what has been your favorite scene from this book specifically? Um, well, like I said, Shrewd dying is is up there. Along with dark, yeah, but it's emotional. It, it right, has that right. impact. It 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 follows it up with Fitz's wild flight through the uh, the halls. Um, I think Fitz turning Night Eyes away, hmm. and then getting attacked and fully accepting him as a bond. Okay. When they're, like, playing in the snow and Fitz says, finally, like, okay, just leave. Yeah. And then he turns and attacks by forged ones and then they save each other in mm-hmm. the fight. Okay. That's another really good one. Hmm. Can't think of another one off the top of my head, but I think those two are, are up there for me. I feel so bad because yours are also deep and like really <laughs> good pivotal moments in the book. And mine's just that one scene where Night Eyes is like female. Nice. <laughs> female. I just think nice. <laughs> yeah, true. Anytime Molly comments on Ketrikin or Molly is hilarious anytime night eyes night eyes did i say molly comments okay i was thinking of saying molly later in the sentence so anytime night eyes comments on ketrakin or molly is hilarious Uh uh-huh yeah i think those scenes are pretty good i also really like the scene where fitz and molly meet for the first time since molly started working at the castle that is good fitz pretending he's drunk because he doesn't want to Mm-hmm. freak anybody out and that's he's super that, weak or whatever uh-huh and that yeah. backfiring on him totally of i course. also <laughs> also this is my final one um when fitz gets super high and is walking around the um big that's celebration good. hall yeah and he can't figure out how stairs works <laughs> so patience has to pull him away from a like a serving maid uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> and then drag him upstairs yeah <laughs> So, like I said, I feel a little guilty that yours are all, like, deep and meaningful and it's really, you know... Emotional impact. Right. You know? And then mine are, like, Those are Those female. are great scenes, though. <laughs> female. Nice. <laughs> nice. Brother. <laughs> oh, yeah, brother. Oh. <laughs> well, I think we'll move on to some comments, yeah. right? Things that you guys have sent in, and we'll uh, we'll discuss those a little bit here. So first off, we have an email from Nat, and Nat says that, well, first of all, we have to offer maybe a little correction. This one, our last email was titled Emma was right, and this one is Emma was wrong, so we're getting (laughs) getting conflicting (laughs) evidence on 
Withy Woods. We're back yeah. to this topic again. Have to start here because my broken heart can't help <laughs> but talk about it. <laughs> no, it's it's all good. Very funny title of your email. So Nat submitted some evidence and uh, maybe a little bit of uh, contradictions to the previous email, just supporting that Withy Woods was in fact crown land and not patience's family's mm-hmm. land so first off is the uh, excerpt at the beginning of fool's fate chapter 30 it's a letter from queen ketrickin to molly talking about a letter she received from patience this is after Beric has passed away yes it's saying that patience sent a, a message to ketrickin saying that Beric was an extremely close friend to chivalry, and I'm sure that chivalry would have wanted to see his lands go to Beric's family, who is Molly now. Mm-hmm. So that's indicating that it is crown lands there. Right. And then also they think that the evidence for her grandfather is not referring to, from last episode and last email, is not referring to Patience's grandfather having Withy Woods and it being Patience's grandfather's land. They were in fact referring to Nettle's grandfather, which would be Prince Chivalry. Mm-hmm. And so that would again have evidence that Withy Woods was crown land and not in Patience's family, which kind of supports what I thought originally, because I thought that one excerpt we read was her family came from an inland duchy, which wouldn't make sense that they would own Withy Woods, which is in Buck. So, mm-hmm. which we did verify with our with the new map that with we got. our new map that we got. Yes, but I do want to point out. I will concede that maybe you guys are right. But before I do that, <laughs> want to ring a couple bells. To be fair, maybe it's Chivalry's land that Patience is willing to give up because Chivalry was married to Patience. You know, like that was her dowry. And so he it's his land now. I mean, maybe not. I'm just kind of pulling that out of my butt. But (laughs) uh, (laughs) but potentially nobody can give us the direct. Nobody's given us the direct quote about it being the grandfather. Um, In Fool's Fate, when Fitz learns that Molly is to be given Withy Woods, he reasons that Patience did the math and realized that Nettle was Fitz's daughter and gave Patience's grandfather's estates to Nettle as an inheritance. And this person is saying that the grandfather in the text is actually referring to Nettle's grandfather and not. Right. So we don't have the exact quote in the text and Frankly, I'm pretty lazy, so I'm probably going to let you guys duke that one out. (laughs) But I am apt to stick in my stubborn way and think that it was the crown's land that was given over to patients because chivalry. um, Right. She married into the royal family, basically. Right. No, I I mean, maybe I am wrong. I don't know. I'm okay being wrong. That's. Not a you, hill you sounded that super sad. I, I don't know. know. <laughs> I, I don't love being wrong. Like I'm a human being. I I don't like being proved wrong. Same. But yeah. It is still. It's hard because I'm like super excited to be like, oh my gosh, okay, so it definitely is chivalry, and <laughs> I'm like fighting right. that part because my heart is broken for being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
And the second part of Nat's email here is talking about whether Fitz was dead or alive at the end of this book. Yes. And I think that's a, it's pretty important to discuss because they bring up really good points about future books. I know you and I have kind of agreed that it honestly doesn't really matter because in Fitz's mind, he dies and that's where he's kind of starting anew. Right. But Nat does bring up really good points about the end of the Tawny Man trilogy. So Nat says that probably couldn't have been a magic stasis at all because it was just regular drugs that Chade gave him. Right. First of all. And second of all, they smelled a dead thing. Mm-hmm. Like night Fitz eyes and, and Night Fitz. Eyes yeah. smelled a dead thing. And with the starvation, with the beatings, the blood loss, the drugs, the body probably wouldn't have been able to hold out no matter what. It would have given up. Mm-hmm. Everything beyond that, the other evidence, is kind of in line with what happens when a witted person revives a dead body or prepares a dead body to become living again. So they quote or at least reference the end of the Tawny Man trilogy when Fitz revives Fool. Mm -hmm. How Fitz uses his wit to prepare the body to become alive again, to persuade the body to live right. and to work through everything and get the blood pumping and everything like that. And they think that's what Birk kind of did themselves or his, himself. And at the end of Fitz preparing the fool's body, the flayed back of the fool was scabbed over. And so that could explain the scabs on Fitz's arms mm-hmm. that Birk was doing the same thing. And the body was like, Oh, we're alive again. Let's start like scabbing over, scabbing yeah. over everything because we're getting a magical infusion of strength. Right. Basically. Yeah. No, it definitely is a strong argument against Fitz being alive or his body being alive. His spirit is alive. And I like the idea that the wit could be part of what helps bring it back. Like maybe it does, maybe that's why it doesn't work when somebody in the old blood community goes into their animal counterpart because they don't have a wit friend staying behind to help bring their body back to life. Right. Because nobody would do it because they all think it's horrible to share spirits. Mm -hmm. And remember, Birik has an ability that has kind of died out in the old blood community, at least in the six touchies web says of that, attraction slash healing kind of thing and he probably subconsciously uses a lot of those abilities right so he was probably able to bring Fitz back a little bit better and uh, Nat also mentions as further evidence that Fitz uses Night Eye's memory of him going back into his own body to help Mm -hmm. Fitz revive the fool right because Fitz couldn't really remember much of anything but Night Eye's had relatively clear memory even for a wolf you know right yeah (laughs) so it's it's very interesting argument i was kind of always on the side of like he had to be in a stasis to heal over but that's a really good point out that the fool's back is also scabbed over and on on the mend Mm -hmm. when the fool is revived that potentially that's just what happens when you use the wit to remind somebody to live yeah exactly exactly very cool I love that idea, mostly because I was already in the camp that I'm pretty sure his body was dead. Um, I, But again, I don't have a super strong opinion on this either way. I, I think all that matters is that Fitz thinks he was dead. 
Um, but this does answer the question from Irene that we got on Facebook. So Irene, if you're listening, hopefully that is helpful <laughs> because she asked us about how it makes sense and how, if we are to believe that this is drugs that are keeping him in a state of almost death, which are real in real life. There are drugs that supposedly can get you to the brink of death. Or maybe I'm just confusing that with Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> but if this is true, how is it that Lacey didn't feel a pulse or catch breath? And why did nobody notice? How How is it possible that every single person fits past through yeah. knew he was dead. Right, exactly. And maybe it, it, it does stem from a place of Chade and Burek wanting to be willfully ignorant. Also... Or Chade being supremely confident in his abilities to mix the drugs to say, yeah, it wouldn't have actually killed you. Right, because how guilty would you feel if you did actually kill? Yeah, and yeah. I'm not, not even saying that like he was deluding himself, but he knew Fitz's you know, physiological makeup and his weight and height and everything, and he got the right amounts for everything, but he didn't factor in like the severe beating right. or the magic because well, he doesn't know it about the wit. Right. And I also was thinking, didn't Fitz mix his own poison in with that? Because he uses the leaves to make a little makeshift pouch to throw in Regal's face, which turns into Will. And then he sucks on those leaves later to help. I, I thought... He had his pouch or whatever already sewn into his cuff, so that was separate than the wad of leaves. But I could be misremembering. So. I thought it was that the it, there was just dust in his sleeve. It wasn't. There's no pouch. The pouch is the sleeve itself sewn together, mm, and I'm he dumped sure. it into the leaves and twisted it. But I I could be wrong. I don't yeah. know. Either way, I feel like Fitz died now with all this evidence here. Yeah. So very good points to bring up, Irene. Mm -hmm. Why? Why wouldn't anybody notice if he was alive? Yeah. Jumping over to Instagram, we have a message from uh, Ashley, which kind of relates to this as well. And they mentioned that uh, they had some thoughts of when Burek was calling Night Eyes and Fitz back to where Fitz's body was, that you can repel with the wit and you can also do the opposite, call or attract something to you. And they were wondering if Birk is not just asking them to return, but also drawing them back with the wit and kind of using his magic, maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously. Yeah. And while Fitz and Night Eyes, the wolf, are saying that they're choosing to come back and to return, are they drawn that there because of the wit pull or because they're choosing to go? Because, as Ashley mentions in here, Webb does mention something to, I think, Fitz or Beerick himself of like, oh, you have that, you know, something that we thought was lost. And I think that's true, and it, it, it might be true, but I think the calling, I, I don't know, my personal thoughts is that the calling was just convincing them to come. Right. But there is a time in that scene where they want to run away. Uh-huh. And, and they, they can't. They kind of like yeah. circle and stuff and they can't run away. And maybe that's what it is. Just holds them in place. Or the other explanation for that in my mind is the split decision of Night Eyes and Fitz bang being like one wants him to return to his body and one doesn't. Right. I don't know. I think it was a really fun idea that it's the opposite of 
the the repel. Yes, it's the opposite of repel, and that he's calling them in. I think it helps to explain a little bit of the we don't need to go. We have meat, and then Beric being like, "Well, I have meat for you," and then them being like, "Maybe then." Because wolves don't think like that. They don't think about, right. oh, well, you have meat too? I'll go get your fresh meat. They just think, well, there's meat in front of me. Why would I travel? So I think maybe it could be them rationalizing why they're going to him. Yeah, it could be. And not understanding the supernatural pull. Because neither Night Eyes nor Fitz are trained in how the wit works. So I don't know that they... I think it could be a lot like the skill where it's just a whisper in your mind and you don't even realize that it's working. Yeah, and and that's something that we really know the least about uh-huh. about the wit actually, because he's the only one that we see have that ability. Right, I think in this, so it's really something scarce. But I, I do love the thought that he was using that kind of subconsciously. Yes, or maybe even consciously, but he was using <laughs> his wit to yeah. draw them closer. I think Bjork is technically trained in the the wit. I don't think he's trained. He got shown how to live through his first whip bond when he was a child. I don't think he ever trained. But he's met Black Rolf. Mm-mm. Beric has never. Oh. How does Black Rolf know that he has a healing ability then? Uh, that's Webb later on. Oh. Webb is the I guy get... with the gull. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Risk his his gull, and mm-hmm. he's like the leader of the Old Bloods who is an okay. actual nice guy. Because they're both yeah. the leader of the Old Bloods, I get them confused. Not because yeah. they have similar descriptions, just yeah, a leader. I, I don't know if Black Rolf is even like... He leads a community in the the woods, hidden away. Yeah, I do we ever get a an instance where he is a leader or just a part of a community and they don't have a leader? I don't he know. He's teaching Fitz right, and he's like teaching Fitz he, introducing him into the society that they have created. I always thought that was because Fitz found him drunk and like walked him back and like kind of saved him from a beating or like helped um, him from a beating, so they just kind of welcomed him into his home, the home. I don't know. I just assume because he's a bear. <laughs> he would kind of rule that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The king of the jungle or whatever. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I mean, he could because he does have the, the skill as well that Fitz suspects, at least. So, thank you very much for those topics. It was all, a lot surrounding the end of this book, which mm-hmm. is really fun to dive into because it's an intersection of different magics and things we haven't right. really encountered yet. And it is pretty crazy. I mean... Fitz may or may not have died <laughs> right? and then right. risen from the dead. So pretty, pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. So speaking of wit, we'll move on to a really interesting Facebook comment we got from Ellen. This is about the potential reason why Justin has the red welts physically on his body that quickly disappear when Fitz attacks him Mm -hmm. through the skill with wit. Yeah. Which is like still really interesting to me. And this is an interesting theory. I just really don't know know. what's going on with that physical reaction. Too many maybes. Yeah. But Uh, Ellen says that it's, they think that it's a body's response to damage that the, the welts, the swelling, the redness, is all there to heal and protect the body. And it's just a reaction to the stimulus that the brain is getting and thinks the damage that it's receiving is actual physical. So they react. So the body reacts. Mm -hmm. And then when night eyes stops and it realizes there is no physical damage, it fades so quickly because the body stops spending energy to 
mm-hmm. uh, heal what isn't there, which yeah. I thought is a really cool way to look at it. I think it's interesting to think that the brain is just doing its best in a situation that it can't quite comprehend mm-hmm. that like, even though you could be a magic user that your brain still, there are parts that are just primal that your brain is just like, Oh, protect from this attack. And Oh, you know what I just thought of? What? Maybe it's a combination. So Justin and Fitz were skill linked, or at least Justin was in Fitz's mind with the skill. Right. So there was a bridge there. Night Eyes used his wit connection to Fitz to see that bridge and cross it mm-hmm. to attack Justin. Right. What if he didn't attack with the wit, though? What if he used, used his own skill. skill or Fitz's skill or whatever? Uh-huh. And he's a wolf, so he attacked and he's going to visualize all of like, this is what happens when I bite and scratch you. And so so. that, that mental projection of like, this is what's happening got forced onto Justin. Interesting. And then the mind can interpret that like, Oh, these damages are actually happening. And it combines with Ellen's suggestion here that it responded. That could be. Yeah. I mean, if the skill can make you, uh, the biggest fan of your worst enemy overnight to the point where you want to kill his son right. as like an out to get rid of the anger that you have towards the man himself. I don't doubt that you could trick the brain into thinking there's real injury there mm-hmm. through skill. It really, it's hard because we don't know the boundaries of a animal who is not skilled being able to right. use somebody else's skill through a wit bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, maybe animals are vaguely skilled. That's how the talking happens. I who knows? I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe that's because we hear that some animals are more likely to be wit partners than others because they're more open or whatever. But maybe it's just because of the amount of skill they have in them. Right. Makes them more connected to things. Could be. I know know. dragons are skill creatures. That's how they communicate. But I don't know about animals. Dragons are a whole other topic that we'll get into. Right. I cannot wait. Yeah. But uh, just as a, I guess, a kind of weird outside connection to this, I kind of relate it to Dungeon & Dragons spell, Phantasmal Force. Okay. Where if you cast it on someone... For all the people who play Dungeons and Dragons out there, if you cast it on someone, you can make them believe anything. And if it's something that harms them, they will take that damage. Okay. So like, oh, if you make them believe that they're on fire, they'll take still like mental damage, Uh but it'll be damaged to them. So maybe that's like what's happening here. (laughs) You know, that's kind of like what popped into my head alongside that thought. (laughs) I mean, that's a interesting way to look at it and a good like real world example of something we know real to world connect. well yeah. you know, <laughs> I something, know what you mean i know what you mean <laughs> we can connect it to our real worlds and that helps understandings right but no i i don't know i like that yeah it's a very it's a very uh cool thought thanks for thanks for commenting ellen and last but not least we have another another comment from them talking about fashion and fitz's distaste for fashion I love this idea. Ellen has suggested that potentially the reason that Fitz has such a strong distaste for fashion is because Regal is so focused on it. He's so vain that 
that Fitz just associates being vain and you know, full of all himself and these ideas of dressing up and everything with the vision of Regal and what he has done in the past. Uh huh. And so that makes him dislike it a little bit more, which I thought was a really interesting connection to make. Mm-hmm. And surpri- I'm surprised I never thought of it myself because it is so it's so fun and fits so well together. Yeah, I really I, like that one. Yeah, I think it's a really good explanation of Fitz disliking someone so much that it influences him. Yeah. I, I do think that there's a chance that the lack of fashion sense can also stem just from his role models, which are which are a man who lives in the walls. Yeah. Uh, a man who is a stable master, so probably isn't dressed super nicely, mm-hmm. and a king who spends all his time in a tower. So Not bathing. <laughs> yeah. So not necessarily the most fashionable of influences on him. Just utilitarian. Yeah. But they are all strong men who are really good at what they do, mm-hmm. and so I could see... And he looks up to them all. Right, he does. And so I could see him equating like being a good person and smart and making good decisions with dressing more utilitarian like rather than following fashion the way regal did yeah and i think when he was a kid it's just like normal kids he doesn't want to be forced into like the good clothes or whatever right yeah and then that just stuck with him because of the relation with regal and and what we were just talking about i think it was a really good comment yeah i like it quite a bit yeah a really fun one to get maybe that's my favorite uh theory (laughs) of uh, this book or I guess both books together right (laughs) speaking of Regal a listener named Nee sent us a really interesting theory about Regal I mentioned it a little bit earlier of how somebody wrote in and said that you know made a comment that we're underestimating Regal and it really made me rethink things well this is the Right in. I would say this is more of a defense of Regal, a reluctant defense yes, of Regal's character <laughs> than than a theory. Although there are some uh, theory parts of this that are interesting as well. Yeah. Basically, Nee says that the takeover of the duchies took years and years, years after both Galen and Desire have passed. So Regal has been on his own for these years. And there's no way one singular grand plan can last that long without changing. Right. And it's not like he has a Jade in his corner because, as they put, I don't think Rosemary is quite up to playing Jade's role in that sense, which I thought was very (laughs) funny. (laughs) And so it has to be Regal being a strategist, which we do see throughout the book he constantly is changing things to his whim and making narratives fit into the way he wants to he's changing he's doing about faces all the Mm -hmm. time yeah whenever Fitz is trying to stop him from labeling Ketrickin as a traitor for going out towards to fight the out islanders and we've remarked on that how agile he is and how swift and deft he is with his words and in the moment he's very charismatic he's very good at twisting things he's good at realizing this isn't going to work i need to switch tactics which is a huge skill to have some people don't understand when things are going wrong and they need to 
jump horses. But he also, like Nee says, must be very good at strategy and planning out in the long term and not just impromptu or improvising in the moment. Mm -hmm. Because that wouldn't set up all of this to have worked out. I do want to re- read something from the uh, the next paragraph here that I thought was a pretty good description. Also kind of funny. That's not to say he doesn't have blind spots, of course. He's a pompous, solipsistic, drug-addled princeling. So he misjudges and underrates others while placing far too much value on his own opinions. <laughs> yeah. Very apt description. <laughs> yes, that is definitely. And I think ultimately that is Regal's downfall. And that is mostly what we see is this drug-addled pompous man who looks down on everyone so we're seeing the cracks because that's what Fitz is focusing on that's what Fitz can see through because he has the whole picture but I think if we step away from the painting we'll see that really it's a masterpiece and those cracks Mm -hmm. don't aren't enough to affect and that's why because Regal has built this image for himself and yeah He's good at it. (laughs) Yeah, he's really good at it. And I think one of the main points here that they're trying to get across is Emma and I have underestimated him with the Outer Duchies plan, or part of the plan. How, yes, Regal doesn't really care about the Outer Duchies, but we're always like, oh, but he's so stupid. We're on Chade's side. Oh, he's so stupid, he'll have to come crawling back to get the ports anyways, blah, blah, blah. But that's such an overlook and an oversight of his intelligence or potential planning capabilities Mm -hmm. that I think that was what kind of prompted this message. Yeah. So what does he think is going to happen to the river trade routes and the borders of the inner duchies? Instead of Burns and Shokes, they'd suddenly be lost to the Raiders. Horror. I think the key to understanding this is that while the reader slash Fitz is horrified by the vicious and inhumane red ship Raiders, Regal may just see them as... Out-Islander allies, loyal, grateful allies. Regal's going to think of them as barbarians, but he's also thinking of them as allies because he has got them as allies, so they'll just be another trade partner. Yeah. It's not losing the ports. Yeah, he's just gaining a different ally. He's giving it to an ally because right now enemies hold the ports, the enemies being the coastal dukes. And also that could have been why they became allies to begin with like hey i will give you these outer ports and Uh this more land here aid me (laughs) yeah as long as you aid me and we can have a trade deal yeah i i I still think it's short-sighted which i don't think knee is arguing here but i think that that's a really good way to look at it that these aren't horrible people to regal these are allies who is doing who are doing exactly what he wants basically yeah and they're getting things done he doesn't care about violence he doesn't care that innocent people are losing their humanity they're not real to him and it goes back to him thinking that he is pretty much all-knowing and his insane self-confidence because he thinks he is in control of all these people and he can control rob red and the pale woman and all these people and we know that's incorrect because the pale woman has some foresight yeah no <laughs> it's, other magic yeah it's definitely not good on but that <laughs> does fit regal's character and i really do appreciate this message that we got from me because mm-hmm. it, it really does fill in those gaps that you and i had right and i think that's my favorite part about doing this podcast is sometimes we get point of views that are so out of left field from our own that it's 
so refreshing. It's like challenging what we are just kind of accepting. Right. And it's nice because in places like this where we keep hitting this wall of what could possibly be making him successful, it's because we're just not looking at it at the right angle or we just haven't considered a different angle. And I just love that about conversing with you guys on our social medias and just in general, it's just really nice to hear other points of view to get a broader picture of this book and we just really enjoy it. I don't know. Although we are two different people and we usually disagree, I still think we aren't different enough to come up with such interesting things as these. We've, that, been, we've been together too long to, yes. <laughs> to have We know how the other opposite. things. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it's nice to have third parties come in and show us things that we have been missing. I think that's a that's a reason why a lot of people start podcasts because eventually you know there's only so many conversations you can have with one another before it circles around right. so so <laughs> and, thank you. Yeah, and we don't want to become a you know an echo chamber yes, or anything. Yes, like an that, echo so. chamber. So it's always nice to hear refreshing ideas. So thank you, Nee. And this is a, a last fun topic here. I'll let you introduce it, Emma. You're very excited to talk about. It. I was. I thought this was so funny. <laughs> So we got a message from a listener named Anna that is asking about episode 34, chapter 7 of Royal Assassin. When Verity confronts Fitz about his romantic slash wet dreams, Verity says that anyone with even a little bit of skill can hear the dreams that Fitz is having about Molly. So their question is, Does that mean the Coterie members have romantic dreams about a red-skirted girl without knowing where it comes from? They also wonder if the females with with the skill get this, and if... They just be confused. Yeah, are they like, what? Is it just, oh, how weird, I had that dream again. (laughs) And do they know that that's a skill, that it's coming directly from the skill? It's so hard to know, but I thought this was such a funny idea to think about. Assuming they all did get those, which I'll I'll talk about later, but assuming they did, I feel like they would just be incredibly guilty and hard on themselves because that was whole that was Galen's whole thing, like austerity, you can't have any other distractions, no boys, no girls. Yeah. Split everything up. Just the skill. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like they'd be like, oh, no, I'm losing my way. <laughs> oh, no, I've had impure thoughts. <laughs> right. It's hard to tell if they could feel that this was a skill coming from skill dream coming from somebody else. Because although they're more trained than fits, we know they're still not fully trained. Right. We don't know the things that Galen has shared with them. I mean, Galen wasn't fully trained either. No, but at least he would know if he right. were alive, he would know yeah. that that was fits a skill dream. Probably. Well, he yeah. would know it was a skill dream and he could probably deduce. I, he, If he figured out it was a skill dream, he would know it was Fitz's because he had touched Fitz's mind before. Right. Although, side note, Regal is very sure that Fitz and Molly are getting together. I think that's from other spies. Okay. But I'm just saying... Maybe everybody's talking about these sexy dreams. I mean, Regal literally <laughs> face-to-face talked to Molly for like a year. Right. So. I know. But Fitz wasn't seeing Molly during that time. Right. But Fitz wasn't super careful in his I suppose. Life, okay, okay, okay. In everything. Sure. 
But I, I do want to say I'm pretty sure Verity left that as a caveat as if they recognized who you were or could trace it to you, they would know that like they could link these things or if they were looking for these dreams, they would have it. Mm-hmm. But since like Verity and him were so linked together, Verity was easily able to pick it up and like get those dreams right. too. I thought that was like the caveat. So uh, in my mind, they, it was only shared with Verity and it was an extreme danger if he didn't ward his thoughts that he could leak something into the coteries. Mm but it hadn't happened yet. That's that was my impression, but I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. I like the idea that everybody in the keep is getting these sexy dreams and they're like, <laughs> "What the heck is up with this red skirt?" Like <laughs> I don't know. I think it's very funny just as a premise. <laughs> just like crabby old serene like again with the red skirts. <laughs> So thank you, Anna, for giving us a good chuckle. We're here at the end of book two. I know. We're going to be taking one week off like we did last time. There will not be an episode next week. However, binge these episodes again. Go visit uh, Buckkeep Radio. They have uh, some episodes out and things like that. Yeah. Send us your thoughts on things. Send us your topics on things. Let us know any of your thoughts or feelings at isfitshappy at gmail.com or isfitshappy at Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We can't wait to hear what you have to say. Looking forward to starting book three. Yes. Assassin's Quest. A quest. Dun, dun, dun. 